Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Since the beginning of the year, we've started with Hebrews chapter number 12 and begun in that verse as the theme for our church for the year and taking a look at running our race with patience. For this last message of the series, we are departing from that just because we're going to get kind of a bigger, broader picture and take a look here in the life of Peter. Because when it comes to finishing the race, the key to finishing the race is being able to get back up when we fall. Peter here, as we read, had a major tumble as he was following after Jesus. Well, you could see how Peter had a heart, that Peter had the desire, but we also saw that Peter fell. And Jesus reminded him and said, I, 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 I told you before that this would happen. Peter was so confident that he would follow and run and be faithful when, when all others would abandon him, and yet he found himself in this place having fallen in the race. It's a humble reminder that the Christian race is not run with perfection. Because none of us is perfect. We are glad that God has cleansed us from all of our sins. If you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, praise the Lord. He's cleansed you of all of your sins. And praise the Lord for that. But we still have a flesh. We still have a spiritual battle within us. Some days are good days. We have great victories. Some days are a little bit more difficult. Some days we really experience some falls in the race. But the Bible encourages us out of Proverbs chapter 24, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. I believe the principle of this passage is that those that are just, it's not that they've never fallen, it's just that they got back up after they fell. He may have fallen once, but he got back up again. He fell twice, he got up again. He fell three times, he got up again. Four times, five times, six times, got back up after everyone. Seven times, got up again. God wants us to get back up in the race. Psalm chapter 37 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall... He shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So I want to see a few lessons from the life of Peter about here is a man who ran and fell, but then got back up. The first lesson is that we see a restoration in his calling from Christ. As we saw, Peter tried. He tried really hard, and, but Peter fell really hard too. And from here, I want to go to John chapter 21. You have your Bibles open there, John chapter 21. And I want you to take a look at verse number 1. John chapter 21, this is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to see this interesting interaction between Peter and Jesus. And in verse number one, after these things, after these things, meaning after Peter denied the Lord, 
after Jesus was tried, after he was beaten, after he was crucified, after he was buried, and after he rose again, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. So he's shown himself to the disciples already, now he's going to show himself again. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's John and James, and two other of his disciples. So there's seven of these disciples together. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. Now, some of you might enjoy fishing, you know, maybe getting up early, getting out on a boat. Some of you might have gone deep sea fishing, you know, and just had a lot of fun. For Peter, fishing was not just something he did for leisure. It was his job. It was his career. It also represented the old life, the life before Christ, the life before he followed the Lord. So when he says, I go a fishing, what is Peter saying here? He's saying, I'm done. You could almost hear in his voice, I quit. It's too much. I know that Jesus has died and rose again, but maybe in the back of his mind, he's still thinking about his denial of the Lord. And so he goes back. He says, I'm going fishing. Verse number three continues. They say unto him, the other six disciples that are with him said, we also go with thee. This is not the point of the message, but be careful of your decisions because they will have an influence on others. Peter was deciding to go back, and guess what? The other six followed along with him. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. I don't believe that this is a coincidence. I think this is from the hand of the Lord. Trying to teach Peter a lesson. You could go back to the old life if you want, but you'll never be satisfied there. You'll never find fulfillment there. You know what you're going to find there? You're going to find emptiness. So he goes back to the old life. He goes back to the fishing. He goes out all night. And all night they catch nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. You know, what's interesting to me is that even though Peter had left the Lord, the Lord never left Peter. You know, Jesus went back to Peter. Peter said, I'm going fishing. And he goes back to the, the seashore, goes back to his old ship, goes back to the old nets, goes back to the old life, and, and goes back out onto the old sea and, and lets it down just like the good old days and catches nothing. But Jesus is coming to Peter. And in verse number 5, then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They're a couple hundred feet offshore. And so Jesus calls out, did you catch anything? And they answered, you can almost hear the way that they would say it, no. <laughs> did you catch anything? This is your job. Did you catch anything? No, we caught nothing. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. 
You know, what Jesus says here, in essence, is if you do what I say, you will find. Now, what's very interesting about this is if you know the life of Peter, this story resembles another event that happened in the life of Peter. Remember when Peter was first called? Luke chapter 5. I think we have the verses on the screen. Luke chapter 5. Hopefully we have the verses on the screen. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Jesus saying to Simon, Peter, launch out into the deep and let your nets for a draw. So Jesus was there in the ship of Peter. They had pushed off a little way from the shore and he was teaching the people when he was done. He said to Peter, go out into the sea and let's catch some fish. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. So once again, we see an event where Peter was out all night and caught nothing. But Jesus had said, if you go out, you'll catch something. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had uh, this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Do you see how that Peter has gone back to the old life and, and Jesus is bringing reminders of his calling? Do you remember when you were out on the ship, out in the sea, and catching nothing? And remember that I told you to go out and you'll catch? And now Jesus is there again on the seashore. Peter has denied the Lord and he's gone back to the old life. And Jesus says, if you cast on the other side, you will find. Back in John chapter 21, the, the account continues. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Do you see this parallel of the initial calling of Peter that Jesus was using? And, and now there's this second time that Jesus has come back after Peter fell. And, and Jesus is kind of using these parallels. And I don't know if Peter in the moment remembered these things, but I'm sure that in the future he thought about how in both cases there are so many similarities. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. That's Jesus. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. He jumped out of the ship. That also kind of reminds us a little bit of something that happened in the life of Peter. Remember when Jesus was there with the disciples and he said, why don't you go in the ship and go to the other side? And, and they went off and in the middle of the sea, they were in the middle of a storm. And, and Jesus walked to them on the seashore, or on, on the sea. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 25, it says, and on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and, and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid, uh, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Boy, don't you see some interesting parallels here? Peter is there in the ship, and, and he jumps out of the ship in order to go to Jesus. Now, in this case, he doesn't walk on the water in John chapter 21. 
But coming back again to the events here in John 21, in verse number 8, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then, as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So Peter makes it to shore. The rest of the disciples make it in the ship. And, and Jesus is there. There's a fire there. He's preparing some food. And, and he says, bring all the fish over here. And so they all go over there. They, they bring over the fish. And, they, and Jesus says, come and eat. Let's eat. And so they all sit around and they begin to eat and everybody knows that this is the Lord Jesus. In verse number 15, when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. Now what's interesting here is that we don't know of Simon as Simon. We usually call him Peter, right? You know Peter in the Bible but his name was Simon. We call him Peter all the time. And in the Gospels, he was often called Peter. In fact, it's clarified here, Jesus said it to Simon Peter, but then he specifically calls him by this name, Simon, son of Jonas. There is one other time in the scriptures when Jesus calls Peter by this name, Simon, son of Jonas. Sometimes he called him Simon, sometimes he called him Peter. There is one time when he called him Simon, son of Jonas. It's all the way back at the beginning of John chapter number one. When Peter first meets Jesus, Andrew, his brother, is a disciple of John the Baptist, and, and Jesus is there, and, and uh, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, and they begin to follow Jesus instead. So Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. Now he is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and the Bible says one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus beheld him and said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. This is the one other time thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So Jesus, as you can see in John chapter 21, after Peter fell, after he said, I don't know that I could do this anymore, Jesus is bringing to mind all of these things, mostly towards the beginning when Jesus first called Peter. In verse number 15 of John 21, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. 
He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You know, there's this interesting interaction here between Peter and Jesus. And, and Jesus asks, Do you love me? Peter says, Of course I love you. And, Peter, and Jesus is in essence saying, Here's your calling. Feed my sheep. Feed the lambs. Do you remember your calling? He's going back and referencing all of these things. What's really interesting is in verse number 19, he says this. This spake he, signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, what are those two words? Follow me. What was Jesus' first calling to Peter? In Matthew 4, 19, we see, And he saith unto them, Jesus saying unto Peter and Andrew, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is in essence saying, My calling is still there for you. The calling is still open. It's still available. And even though Peter had quit on Christ, Christ had not quit on Peter. Though Peter had left his calling, his calling had not left him. And though Peter had turned his back on the race, the race had not turned its back on him. There was still an opportunity for Peter to get back into the race. There was still a chance for him to return to following the Lord. And the Lord was still leaving that door open for him and saying, the calling was there at the beginning. And even though you denied me, and even though you ran that race, and even though you fell, and even though you said, this is not for me, I'm going back to the old life. I'm done with this race. Jesus said, I'm still here for you. I still want you to follow me. And you can still run in that race. And and what we see in the Christian life, it, it is not those that never fall that finish. It is those that get back up. Because every single one of us is going to fall. Every one of us is going to sin. Every one of us is going to make some poor decisions. Every one of us is going to have some troubles in life. Every one of us is going to maybe have some moments just like Peter. And It's not those that never fall that finish the race. It is those that get back up. So let me encourage you. Let's have this mentality. You know what? I'm going to fall, but I, I'm determining I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back up again. Peter got back up again in the race. And that brings us to the second aspect and lesson that we could learn, which is that we see a realization of the capability of Christ. Let's consider Peter's life in two parts. The life that he had following Christ before he denied him. So, mostly what Peter was doing in the Gospels. And then let's consider his life after he denied Christ and was restored in his calling. So we have this first half of Peter's life, if you will, in terms of how we might look at the life of Peter, and we see him before he denied the Lord. We see accounts of Peter in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the things that he said. We saw that how he was kind of a leader of the group. It seems like he may have even been a little bit older than many of the other disciples. And so he was kind of a leader of those individuals. But we also know Peter is kind of saying some foolish things. He thought so well of himself. I'll never deny you. But of course we know what happened there. Peter would often say things without really thinking about it. And sometimes Jesus had to rebuke him. And 
We see a lot of different things, that he said some foolish things, he did some foolish things. and So that's his life before he denied the Lord. And sometimes it's tempting that when we do foolish things, we maybe even do some of the things that Peter had done, even in terms of like denying the Lord. And it can be tempting to think that if we fall in the race, we'll never get back up and catch up again. You know, well, I fell down. What's the point of even finishing the race? But then let's consider Peter's life after he denied the Lord and was restored. These are the accounts that we see in the book of Acts. But when you see the book of Acts, you know who's at kind of the center of all of the activity of the Lord? It's Peter. In Acts chapter number 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they're beginning to speak in tongues. And we see that the whole city comes together and says, what is this? This is not something that we've seen before. This is something unusual, something different, something strange, something miraculous. And, and Peter stands up and he preaches on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says that 3,000 souls got saved on that day. Boy, what a great turn of events where we see that not that many days before, Peter had denied the Lord, and now, just weeks after, a few months later, we see that Peter is now standing up boldly and preaching the word of God, and, and thousands are getting saved. Acts chapter number 3, we see that Peter and John, they go up to the temple area in order to pray, and as they are walking by, they see a man there. That, he's been there his whole life. Crippled, unable to walk, unable to work, and just sat there on the side of the road next to the gate that is called Beautiful, just begging for alms every single day of his life. No hope, no future, no dreams. Just laying there begging every single day. And Peter looks at him and he says, look up at us and, and uh, give me your hand and silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he gets up and he begins to walk and leap and he's praising God and he's running around and he grabs Peter and John as they go into the temple area and everybody is like, hey, I know that guy. He's the guy that was there by the, by the gate over there begging every day and now he's walking. Everybody comes together and, and Peter has a chance to preach the word of God. He begins to preach the gospel. He preaches Jesus Christ and the Bible says, how be it many of them which heard the word believed and the number of them was about five Thousands. Thousands more are getting saved now. Chapter number 9, we see that Peter, after some of the persecution has been building and then abated, now he's going through all of the quarters. He's going through the areas of Judea. He's going through the areas of Samaria. And he goes into the uh, different cities. And he, he goes into uh, one of these towns. And there's a, there's a man there. His name is Aeneas. And he and, uh, wasn't able to walk. And uh, by the power of Jesus Christ, he is healed. And many believe the Lord... Further on, they go to another city, and there is Tabitha. She had passed away, and by the power of Jesus Christ, through Peter, he was she was raised again to life, and many believed on the Lord. If you were to compare the life of Peter before he fell and the life of Peter after he fell, we would say God did so much greater after he fell than before. Before, when you see Peter, before he denied the Lord, we don't really see Peter doing too much. Of course, he followed the Lord. Of course, there were some things that God allowed for him to do. But if you were to compare the two halves of his life, we would say Peter did so much more after that he had fallen and gotten back up than before. 
Most importantly, we have two of the 27 books in the New Testament because of Peter. And he didn't write them before he fell, he wrote them after. God did more with Peter after the fall than before. And God doesn't want to just bring you back to the good old days. God wants to take you to even better days. See, you may have run in the race, you may have fallen, you may have uh, gotten away from the Lord, you may have gotten out of the race, and you may have gotten focused on some other things and gotten focused on your job and gotten focused on your career and gotten focused on uh, being able to do some different things and, and uh, been focused on the things of the world and been focused on maybe making a name for yourself and building a career and buying things in life and enjoying the pleasures of this world. And you may have gotten off on that race, but God is calling you back to the race and he says, if you get back in the race, I can do some great and incredible things through you but it requires that if we've fallen that we get back up again god can cleanse us of all unrighteousness restore us in our relationship with the lord get us back into the race so that we might see some great and incredible things done by the lord you know what that's a great testimony to the lord that after we fall that god can use us in great ways after we've maybe made a mess of our lives, maybe after we've ruined our testimony, maybe after we've gotten off track, and maybe after we've done some things in our own flesh, that God brings us back and fixes us and restores us again so that we could see some great and incredible things in our life. The third lesson that we see is a relatability and the comfort from Christ. Of course, we see that Peter denies Christ, Christ restores Peter, and we see that Christ begins to work and do some incredible things through him. But there's one last thing that I think is so wonderful about Peter and his life and what he was able to do after he fell. He had the opportunity to help someone who was in the exact same situation. And the man that we see close to Peter is Mark. Mark is a nephew of Barnabas. You might know Barnabas from the book of Acts. Barnabas was a, a faithful man, a disciple of the Lord, and God used him in, in, in some great and incredible ways. He is one of the ones that is recorded there in, in the Bible as having sold his land and giving it to the church in order to help those that had gotten saved and, and were in need financially. And, and he was a very sacrificial kind of a man. He was one who was also great at restoring others in the faith. He was the one that uh, kind of brought Saul into the fellowship with the church. And, and so he, he did uh, some great and incredible works. He went with the Apostle Paul on the first, first missionary journey. And, and uh, so he had a nephew whose name was Mark. And, and Mark was part of this family that was kind of at the center of a lot of the activity there in the church of Jerusalem. When Peter was jailed, uh, there was an all-night prayer meeting with the church. The church gathered together and said, we got to pray for Peter. Uh, already one of the apostles has been killed, and now they're wanting to kill Peter as well. we got to pray to the Lord that God would do something. And so what did they do? They all gathered together, and you know where they gathered? They gathered at Mark's home. So they all gathered at Mark's home, really Mark's mom's home, and so they gathered there together, they prayed all night. That, that, that's Mark. And Barnabas, of course, being his uncle, he's he kind of very familiar and saw a lot of the activity there early in the days of the church. And, and uh, when Peter, or when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, Barnabas said, Mark, why don't you come with us? And Mark went. He went, and then he went back home. He didn't finish that first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas finished it on their own. They started with three. 
They finished with two. Because Mark stopped right in the middle and he went back home. After Mark left, Paul and Barnabas, they're there in what is modern-day Turkey, and they face some really great trials there. In fact, it is during that time that Paul was taken out of the city and stoned. Now, of course, we know that God raised him up, and, and God continued to use them in some great ways, and they finished the missionary journey, and they came back home. Now, after a little while, Paul and Barnabas... They say to each other, we should go back and see these churches. we got to see how they're doing. we got to encourage them in the Lord. So, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go. Barnabas says, sure, let's go. Let's bring Mark. And Paul says, nah, <laughs> no, I'm not going with Mark again. I, I remember what Mark did last time. And we're going back to the very same places. You think, you think, we barely faced uh, that many difficulties before and he couldn't finish. Wait till we go into this other area where I was stoned. You think Mark's going to last? He's not going to last. I mean, I'm reading between the lines, but you could imagine that, that those are some of the things that maybe Paul would have said. What's interesting is that we, of course, know that Paul wasn't perfect, but once he got saved, we don't really see him ever fall in his race. He was faithful all the way to the end. And so when Paul saw Mark, he said, you know, nah, he's not coming with us. Barnabas insisted on Mark coming, and Paul said, I'm insisting that he not come with us. So much so that Paul and Barnabas could not go together. Barnabas took Mark, and Paul took Silas. And we know the, where, where Paul and Silas went. We see a lot of that recorded in Scripture. We don't see Barnabas again. And we don't see Mark again. But then you see his name pop up in some other places. And guess where we find the name of Mark? We find Mark's name in the book written by Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 5, at the very end. Marcus, my son. Do you think Peter saw a little bit of himself in Mark? Right? Do you think that he saw in Mark, yeah, yeah, I saw that you had a desire, you really tried really hard, but you kind of disappointed some people along the way. I know exactly what that feels like. I know what exactly what it feels like to disappoint the Lord. I know what exactly it feels like to have uh, kind of committed yourself and said, I can do this and find yourself falling short. I believe that when Peter says, Marcus, my son, he's not just saying that. I think he really thought, you know, this is my son. We're, we're, we kind of have the same story. We have the same uh, situation coming in our lives. And, and Paul or Peter, as he saw Mark, I'm sure that he saw him and he said, you know what, here's somebody that's gone through exactly the same thing that I went through and I know exactly what, what he will need. Peter was able to relate really well with Mark. And Mark was able to really relate well with Peter because they had the same story. They had the same testimony. And I believe that Peter really related well with Mark because of that. He was relatable. You know, when you kind of take a look at some of the great, you know, athletes and great businessmen and, you know, people who have really accomplished a lot in life, it can be hard for us to relate to people like that. You know, one of the greatest athletes of our generation is LeBron James. Six foot nine, one of the greatest athletes of our generation. He can jump 44 inches off the ground. I mean, he can do things that we could only imagine. It's hard for us to relate to that. 
right? You can look up at him, you could admire him, you could respect him, but it's really hard to relate to LeBron James. I mean, LeBron James is a foot taller than me. He weighs 100 pounds more than me. He's, he's a way better of a, of a physical athlete than I am. I mean, you could put three of me on a basketball court and one of him and he would still beat us in a game. Right? We, we don't stand a chance against somebody like LeBron James. And you look at LeBron James and think, you know what? I mean, he is an incredible athlete, but I don't relate with him at all. And sometimes when you look at the men and women in the Bible, sometimes they can seem like the LeBron Jameses of their era. But when you read the Bible a little more carefully, you'll realize they're not LeBron Jameses of their era. They're people just like you and me. When you read so many of the events of the lives of these people that you think, wow, great men of faith. How great they fell as well. Think about Noah, one of the first that we see in the Bible that, you know, had great faith. For a hundred years or so, built an ark out of faith. No evidence that there was rain coming or floods, but God said it, and so he believed it, and he built this ark. What a great testimony of faith. After the floods abate, though, what happens? He gets drunk. Boy, right after victory, right after this incredible deliverance of the Lord, he gets drunk. Boy, Noah, man, did, already? What about Abraham? Boy, Abraham, you know, all of the Jewish people, we are descendants of Abraham. And Abraham, a great man of faith. And Abraham lied about his wife, had a child with another woman. Not exactly the best testimony. When God told him that he was going to have a child, he laughed. He was a great man of faith, but it's not like he never fell in his race. What about Jacob? Boy, Jacob is known more for falling in the race and not doing what he should than doing the things that he should do. What about Moses? Boy, the books of Moses, the law of Moses. We have Moses. We have the law. We have the prophets. We have Moses. And Moses delivered the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt. And yet, what do we see at the very beginning? We see him trying his very hardest and failing badly. What about David? David, the man after God's own heart. What a great testimony. Pen so much of scripture. Many of the Psalms were written by David. We have the testimony of David in the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. We have so much to see in the life of David, but guess what? David fell too. Committed adultery, had Uriah killed, made some poor decisions later in life as well. You know what the lesson here is? That God wants us to get back up in the race. You know what? If you get back up in the race, guess what? You might be able to help somebody else who also needs to get back up in their race. Because every one of us needs to get back up in the race. Every one of us has fallen. And sometimes it's easy to try to think that, you know what? Oh, I can never be like that because look at them. They're so great. They've never fallen. But you know what? If we would just be humble and honest and admit every one of us have fallen... You know what? People might find us a little more relatable. 
other Christians might be able to relate to us a little bit more and say, you know what, I see that he fell and he got back up. And you know what, maybe I'm too ashamed to even admit that I've fallen in my race. But you know what, if he could do it, I could do it as well. One author puts the relationship with Peter and Mark this way. Both recovered and are restored, not only to bravest service, but to outstanding leadership. Just like Peter, we see in Mark's life that God did so much greater after he fell than before. Because before, he just followed everybody else around. He followed his mom's leadership. He followed his uncle's leadership. He just kind of did what other people told him to do. But afterwards, we see that he's got a great testimony. We see that Mark is noted for his fellowship and service. So when Paul writes to Philemon, in the book of Philemon, he gives him some greetings from some people. And in verse number 24, he lists as this name Marcus, Mark. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, and what are the words there? My fellow laborers. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying, Mark, he's a great worker. Mark, he's a great teammate. He's not just an apprentice. He's not just my son. He's a fellow laborer. He's somebody that I rely upon, and he relies upon me, and we're working together, and he's noted for being a fellow laborer in the Lord. We also see that he's noted for his faithful steadfastness. Before, Mark is known for his desertion of the ministry, that he left the ministry, that he quit in the middle of it. But now we see that Mark is known for one staying in the ministry. In Colossians chapter 4, the Bible says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, who is Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, Barnabas's nephew, touching whom ye receive commandments, and if it come to you, receive him, and Jesus, which is called Justice, who are the circumcision. And notice what Paul says about Mark. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. You know, before he was known as somebody who left the ministry, now he is known as somebody who is there when other people left the ministry. What a great turn of events. What a great change of testimony. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Christians to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. What a great testimony that Mark has, that he was able to turn things around. Before he was known as somebody who left, now he is known as somebody who stayed when other people left. We also see that Mark is noted for his far-reaching soul winning. In 1 Peter, as we read, Mark is mentioned. And there it says, The church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus, my son. You know when... Paul and Barnabas and Mark were together. Mark didn't make it very far. They went to the island of Cyprus. They made it to modern-day Turkey, and then he turned around and went back home to Jerusalem. He didn't get very far. But now he's making it as far as Babylon preaching the gospel. But lastly and most importantly, we see that Mark is noted for his involvement in the writing of Scripture. 
you'll notice that of the four Gospels, two of them are named after apostles. Matthew and John. The other two are Mark and Luke. Now, isn't it interesting that of the four Gospels that we have, one of them bears the name of Mark, the one who quit on Paul in the ministry, the one who went out and didn't make it very far and turned around and went back home. Now, we know that the scriptures are written, these New Testament books are written either by an apostle himself, we see that with the letters of Paul, you know, the book of Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You see some of the epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We, we, we know that. Or they were written by somebody very close to one of the apostles. They were there, obviously, maybe either hearing the direct record from the apostle. They, they, they were very close. All, uh, the sources are all there with an apostle. So the question is, Mark, of course, not being an apostle... Which apostle was he with when he wrote the book of Mark? You know who it is? It's Peter. It's Peter. Isn't it interesting that of the four Gospels, one of them comes to us by this teamwork between Peter, who denied the Lord, and Mark, who left the ministry, and God puts them together, he restores them in ministry, and he works in them together to give us this very important book of the Bible, an invaluable, precious treasure in our lives called the very Word of God. Boy, don't you see how that God says, you know what, you may have fallen in your race, but I could do some great things through you. I want to do some great things through you. I will do some great things through you, but you've got to get back up. You can get back up. I'll strengthen you for the race. And I think that what that tells us is that if we're saved, we have a calling. God is calling to us, follow me. And maybe you're like Peter. You've had that testimony where you denied the Lord and you don't even know if you can keep running and, and you're, you're going back to the old life. You're going back to the old ways. You, you're, you're done with this whole church thing. You're done with the ministry. You're not going to get involved anymore. And what God is saying is, Hey, the calling is still there. Just like at the beginning of Peter, when he met Peter, he said, follow me. After he denied the Lord, Jesus comes to Peter again and he says, you know what? The words are the same. Follow me. And if you'll follow me, I can do some even greater things, things that you can't even imagine. But you got to get back up. you got to come and follow me. And you know what? That might be just a testimony somebody else needs to say. You know what? If they could get back up, so can I.